survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 24 and herein we start a new chapter in our podcast history. See what I did there? This is the first in a series of book club episodes based upon S.D. Perry's Resident Evil novels. My name is Siniac, you can just call me Si and joining me on the panel this week, turning pages like he's reading a Keeper's Diary, it's fire button Steve Valance. Hello. He's no sliding worm, he's a bookworm. It's Moist Owlet, a.k.a. James. He said, grinning. <laughs> this episode of the podcast, like all others, was recorded live in our Discord server. Join now to hear the podcast early and unedited, as well as engage with our community, contribute to the show and other upcoming projects, and be informed first of everything going on behind the scenes. You can find a link to the server in the description of the podcast or on our social media accounts. You can also support the show on Patreon for as little as $1 a month with various tiers, each with their own perks. Check out patreon.com forward slash FA Spray Pod for a full list and a chance to create bonus first aid spray content. So first things first, housekeeping as always. Let me have a little bit of look at what we've brought out in the last little space because it's been a bit of a crazy month. Um, we've had a whole host of things. Obviously Resident Evil The Beginning has been running up until recently. That's now finished so you can watch the entire Resident Evil The Beginning uh, series in its entirety there's a playlist to make it easier as well uh, so that was a that was a that was a fun ride uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about that in the future I'll say that much but that's all out there now to hear our audio drama of Resident Evil the book from 1997 uh, so thank you again to everyone who checked that out uh, was part of the sort of live premiering of those episodes and of course the cast and crew as well also on our YouTube, you will find the latest videos from us. Um, we did a lore-based video about the downfall of the RPD, the last few days of that building, which uh, James did the voiceover for. It's one of my favourite videos that we've actually put together. Um, really happy with that one. And obviously we've been covering Resident Evil Village. We've got the bonus episode of the podcast uh, that's come out where we'll be talk we talk about the, the trailer and go hard on the speculation on that one. We're not going to be talking about the game on this episode, but if you want to hear us talk for over an hour about the game, check out the bonus episode. That's on YouTube and the podcast feeds, as is five things you may have missed from the Resident Evil Village trailer. Um, we've also got the Dead Space Patreon exclusive podcast. That is out exclusively for Patreons up until sort of early July, which will drop for everyone. Uh, so there's one more bonus episode out there, and there's another bonus episode on the way. I won't say what it is, but uh, we have yet more content coming. So it, it's, like I said at the start, it's been crazy. That's all the news from us. Let's get into the biohazard news. First article today, then. Peter Fabiano, uh, I believe we all know who he is has said in an interview that Resident Evil 3 is now a finished product, leading most to speculate that there is no more DLC coming. Yeah, I mean, that's not exactly what he said, but it's 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 near enough, right? I guess that's what you glean from it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the question was, is Resident Evil 3 a finished project, or are there any tweaks or updates in the works, said Silicon Era, and Fabiano simply says Resident Evil 3 is a finished product. Um, it hit hard at the time, but I think with the reveal of the new game, uh, I guess... People probably softened up on it now, right? I'm still kind of gutted for Jill Valentine. Like, they've not had a main, like, big release entry in a long time. And then they've basically had, like, the, the one that's been kicked out of the door and just left a twist in the wind a little. Mm. Yeah, that's like, fair. Don't, don't, don't wrong. The, the package that we've got, I still think, is a, a good package. I, I enjoy the game. Resistance is a great game, too. It's just... 
kind of a shame. Like compared to a lot, I've said it before. Like, compared to the likes of RE7 and RE2 remake, it's it's not fair, really. And, yeah. In a in a childish tantrum way, it's not fair. But <laughs> um, you know, you got to accept these things. Like even on the podcast when we first said it, like you know, there is the possibility of DLC, but it no, it turns out there no, not really. No clock tower. Yeah, that that's a shame. Although I definitely didn't see that happening personally. I guess I was a bit of a pessimist about it, and, it, and it's worked out in my favour because I'm really, I was not expecting there to be anything. I, I I really would have been shocked if they'd have done anything at all. I just got the feeling that that was it, and we were going to be moving forward to a new game. But you're right; it is a little. It feels like a missed opportunity when Resident Evil Two had some DLC and Resident Evil Three didn't. It seems a bit odd. Um, but yeah, it's, I like it's, it's what it is. Like I know it's a, I know it's already been said on the podcast before, but the fact the sheer complexity of Nemesis in and of himself in that tiny instance they use him is like heavily over engineered. Like he could have been half as competent as he was, but they gave him so many moves, so many different ways to take down Jill, different ways to interact with the environment, and then they choose to not use it, and that makes me kind of yeah sad. Yeah, it does make it feel a bit like a missed opportunity in, in mm. many ways. James, what do you think? Yeah, um, yeah Rebe- Rebecca Chambers would like to have a word with you. Steve, <laughs> <laughs> about oh. the amount of games that, yeah. Um, Actually, but, to be fair, just to be that guy, just to be that guy, all right? Resident Evil Zero remastered came out after Resident Evil Remake remastered. If we want to draw hairs, you know, draw straws, technically, before Jill... Rebecca has had a re-release. <laughs> uh, the HD upgrade, yeah, I guess. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> but she's but she but she's had one game and Jill's had two, so technically mm-hmm. three. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I uh, yeah, I, I, Luigi just said in chat to agree with you as well. As well so I, I felt like this was a finished product. I didn't feel like there was going to be DLC to it. I thought it was a pretty, it was pretty like obvious enclosed story oops i forgot to turn my phone off um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I thought it was a, a you know an enclosed story and i didn't expect any dlc for it and i'm not really one way or the other with it to be honest whether yeah if it was going to have deals but i do feel people's frustrations with jill she does deserve better to connect it with re7 uh, re8 uh re village sorry um <laughs> hopefully we'll get more jill because I actually, I know it sounds strange, but I actually, I really warmed up to her in the remake three. But I actually super warmed up to her in RE five, but we don't mm. hear from her much, mm. right? But when she does come in, it's like, oh, oh, she's actually got charisma and actually a personality, and I, I like her now. Well, I didn't not like her before, but she actually felt like a person, and yeah, she deserves more. Yeah, I, I agree. I I do think that with the new game coming, it makes it a little bit easier, but not. Not on Jill fans. Yeah, it feels like it's a, as Steve said, exactly, twist, twisting in the wind is, is very appropriate. Um, I would imagine that the team that worked on this game have now been brought onto another project pretty much immediately, um, whether that's to dust Village up nicely before it's due to come out next year or, or something else, you know, these so-called annual releases or whatever. Um, if there wasn't a new game coming so soon, Chances are there would be something else to fill to fill a gap in in time. Um, but since we're expecting a game within the next twelve months, uh, that yeah, the Capcom are probably just elected to to move straight on. What's a few more months? Uh, you know, it, it's and, a shame, they, but... 
And they also might, because uh, they have said as well that RE3, they're changing things about, well, it's still a rumor, but they're changing things about uh, how the remake 4 is going to be, so it connects with RE3. Mm. So we might actually get more Jill um, or potential, it's potential story. There's, yeah. I mean, there's that the the post credit scene which we talked about, you know, or is it or is it not Jill? And obviously I've got my Rebecca theories, but if it is Jill, you know, there, there's something hanging there to continue onwards uh, into future remakes or even, you know, completely new installments. So I, obviously, I don't think this is the last time I'm going to see Jill by, by any stretch, but uh, it, it's been a, it's a shame because it's been so long. Do you think like the the nudges that people have given Capcom over RE3 may have changed their minds? Because I'm not that, as a guy you know plays on PC a lot. I'm still seeing like the the odd hefty update that's apparently just patch fixes for a game that runs yeah. perfectly fine on PC. Yeah. So there's still there's still a, 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 maybe it's my air of denial, you know, my my inability to accept the truth. But there's still some there's something funny going on. I don't know. I get the feeling that they won't come back and add anything to the game other than tweaks and stuff. But I also wouldn't be surprised that some of the reaction that people have had to RE3 um, not living up to expectations might necessarily inform this so-called Resident Evil 4 remake or something else. Because in all fairness to Capcom, even going far back as uh, mid-2010s, they've really been good at listening to the fans. Obviously, the reaction to RE6 really changed everything. So it, it, you know, I'm sure they do listen. Apparently, according to this interview, they're happy with their finished product. Um, that could be PR talk. But nonetheless, I'm, I, I I do feel like they do listen. So, I mean, we've um, got RE2 Remake. They, 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 they do listen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Even if it takes them like 15 years, right? <laughs> <laughs> so our next piece of news, and this one's probably a little bit closer to mine and Sai's heart, is that Resident Resistance now got a new update with a uh, brand new map and um, am I reading this right? Animal costumes for each survivor? <laughs> yep. Giant, like, fursuit mascot costumes. It's bizarre. I haven't seen any of them in action. But I've seen a couple <laughs> of photos uh, on the server of them. Uh, Martin Chicken Sandwich being one of them, apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that part's bizarre. I guess it's... I I get I understand it. It plays into that audience of the sort of looter shooter audience a little bit with you know crazy silly stuff like that. You know Fortnite and all those games have ridiculous costumes, so it, it doesn't hurt to have stupid costumes. I can actually take that. I I I would prefer something as stupid and ridiculous as like a fursuit costume over here's a gun skin that's gold or here's a you know because I mean the golden outfits. 100%. You know they're, they're okay, but you just it's all like you're covered in chocolate wrappers. <laughs> I wouldn't even say they're okay, personally. I really don't like them, but... (laughs) There's one good good reason for them, and that's because everyone knows they're unlocked at level... They're unlocked at level 50. Right, yeah, yeah. And you can show, because the players don't see your level in-game, do they? They can see that, all right, I've actually played with this character enough. Yeah, true enough. Yeah, true enough. That's that's it. Lionheart in chat says it's the furry verse. Sunny Bow said they're the fur vibers. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm in, I'm in total agreement. It's not exactly like it's the first time that Resi's had stupid costumes. It, it goes back many many years. You know Barry Bo- Barry Burton's patriotic costume in the Mercenaries 3D and uh, Sailor of Chris Redfield and stuff like that. So why not? I mean, mafia like. Mafia Leon and Mafia Leon, yeah. suit armor Ashley. Right, so, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, yeah, why not? Bring it on. In terms of the new map, um, I think out of the three of us, I'm probably the only person who's got a chance to play it. Is that right? That is yeah. right. Yeah, I, I got a couple of games in. Um, I can't say 
I think it was just a bad night for me personally, but I got at least a look of the map. It's much bigger than anything else. It's easy to get uh, kind of lost in because the layout's very different. It's yeah, it, it's interesting. I like that it's different, in fact. I mean, they took the opportunity to make something different. It looks nice. It plays nice. It plays It plays different to other maps as well. There's some extra trickery that Masterminds can do where you can sort of lock up the bio cores in round three. So that makes it uh, stand out a bit as well. Yeah, overall, overall, it's good. Happy with it. Is it, um, is it like Revelations 2 keeping? or Not, not really. I mean, it did look a bit like that in the trailer, but it, it's a bit more straightforward than that. A um, bit more okay. classic American prison. The, the the thing that stood most out to me in a few games that I did get in is the the improvements that the patch has brought in general, not just the map. Um, that's nice, but there's some genuine gameplay improvements. The big one that was pointed out to me that makes a huge difference is previously in the sort of equipment area where you go to the item box and get yourself ready to move out, uh, masterminds could basically put enemies in those areas if they, if they didn't have a front door or particularly you know just waltz a zombie and sometimes you get liquors running in um in the casino and stuff well they all have force fields now those rooms so that enemies can't come into them uh so survivors have actually got a safe room at the beginning of each round that way um ah. it actually makes a big difference so it's I stuff like that yeah it's that I that that kind of update is really is really good and a real positive look from the guys that are continuing to craft for that game um, so, yeah, yeah there, more was, there was like, I think there was a big outcry about people just losing in the first minute also because they were just being uh, basically ganked at the beginning by the mastermind. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. As a mastermind who would repeatedly put several armored zombies and then <laughs> barricade into the middle of the casino like safe room at the start, I can totally appreciate why they nerfed that. It's busted as <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that, I think that they, they clearly are taking things on board. Now we just need hot seating, don't we? Uh, Neobards, you know. Yeah, that's wing, that. Wing, no, no. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that would be nice. But it's also, it makes sense to prioritise gameplay tweaks that makes it feel less cheap and broken in areas and potentially more welcoming to uh, a, va a vaster array of players. Um, hopefully this keeps up, these kind of updates and this extra content. You know, this is the end of the roadmap that they first released with um, Jill and, and Nikolai and the new map. I don't know if they've announced anything, what's to come at all, if they've teased anything. Hopefully that there's a little bit more. I imagine so. I get the feeling that they're, they're still doing stuff. If they're putting in updates like this, hopefully that's not the last big one. Uh, but I get the I feeling, so. that, uh, you know, this is a totally separate team resistance. So it makes sense to keep them on board for at least for the rest of the year to keep keep doing stuff. They need to... Like this is this is going to sound the meanest thing. They need to find a way to sell it separately now. At this point, so, I can not, see not, that. To, not not implying Resident Evil Three is in any way dead weight, but making Resistance its own thing would probably you know, help it sell more. I think now, because mm. some people want like they may not have been into, if they're not into Resident Evil originally, and they see like oh this is this is multiplayer game that you can torment your friends with, <laughs> and then they see Resident Evil afterwards. They might go for it then instead, because I, I mean we're all we're all mostly super fans. I mean James is is the new the newbie, uh, but generally big fans of the series. And there'll be those of us that we see people who hate Resident Evil just because it's got Resident Evil written on it, because it's a single player horror mm. game. Mm. You make it a multiplayer separate a separate multiplayer game. You might draw more people in at this point. I agree. I think there is probably friends groups out there that have got 
uh, people in that group that aren't fans of Resident Evil but want to play the game that all their friends are playing together. Um, so they at least want that half. So I, I'm 100% on board with that idea. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Like, uh, I didn't actually think about this beforehand, but do you know what made me not try out Resident Evil for years after trying Resident Evil 3 was how it was a uh, game anxiety was actually having anxiety about playing the game because it was so scary and also a little bit um, daunting mm. um, to to look at. It's called Resident Evil. You know, it's it's quite a daunting title, but once you get into it, you get into the lore and that side of things. And yeah, so Resident Evil Resistance, which is very lighthearted and well, in mm. a way, um, <laughs> and uh, e you know, easy, easier, easier to play. It's accessible. Yeah, it's um, it, 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 that is a great. Uh, um, what's the word? Uh, gateway into the mm, into the universe. Definitely. Okay. Well, with the news out of the way, we are going to move into our main subject of this podcast, which is the first in a series of book club episodes. This time, focusing on the Umbrella Conspiracy. And now, reading excerpts from S.D. Perry's Resident Evil: The Umbrella Conspiracy, Nick, aka Neptune, from the Resident Evil podcast. You can follow on Twitter at RE underscore Neptune and Resi Evil Pod. Chris edged into the hallway and moved toward the door, careful not to turn his back to the unsecured area. As he got closer, the gentle sounds of movement stopped, and he could see that the door wasn't closed all the way. No time like the present. With an easy tap, the door swung inward into a dim hall with green flecked wallpaper. A broad shouldered man was standing not twenty feet away half hidden in shadow, his back to Chris. He turned around slowly, the careful shuffling of someone drunk or injured, and the smell that Chris had noticed before came off the man in thick, noxious waves. His clothes were tattered and stained, the back of his head patchy with sparse, scraggly hair. Gotta be sick, maybe dying. Whatever was wrong with him, Chris didn't like it. His instincts were screaming at him to do something. He stepped into the corridor and trained his Beretta on the man's torso. Hold it! Don't move! The man completed his turn and started towards Chris, shambling forward into the light. His, its, face was deathly pale, except for the blood smeared around its rotting lips. Flaps of dry skin hung from its sunken cheeks, and the dark wells of the creature's eye sockets glittered with hunger as it reached out with skeletal hands. Chris fired three shots that smacked into the creature's upper chest in a fine spray of crimson. With a gasping moan, it crumbled to the floor, dead. Chris staggered back, his thoughts racing in time with his hammering heart. He hit the door with one shoulder, was vaguely aware that it latched closed behind him as he stared at the fallen, stinking heap. Dead. That thing's the walking goddamn dead. Okay, so it's book club time. Um, it was going to happen inevitably, certainly. We're trying to touch sort of all aspects of the franchise. Um, and it makes sense to sort of spread those spread those wings a little bit. So let, let's look at the book series. Most of people uh, will at least be aware of this. Um, S.D. Perry is the writer for all seven books in the series. This is the first book, obviously we're going to start, uh, which is focused on the events of the original Resident Evil. Um, there is conflicting reports online. I tried to get an exact date of when it was first published. 
but it was sometime in September 1998 by Pocket Books. And then um, again in September 2012, it was re-released by Titan Books. Um, there are some reports that it was on the exact same day all those years later, but I can't I can't confirm that. Uh, but this re-release had new cover art as well. Um, according to S.C. Perry herself uh, in an interview over with our friends at Crimson Head, which you can go read on their website, uh, she said that Capcom representatives reached out to her father, Steve Perry, who had some experience in writing novels in um, franchises such as Alien and uh, I believe Star Trek as well. Uh, but he was busy and passed it along to his daughter, who had experience also writing for Alien at the time and Alien vs. Predator, and coincidentally has gone on to write for Star Trek. Um, so this was, um, I want to say a big break, but it was definitely a big different step. She she actually described the process of it, um, said that because there weren't a lot of game adaptions to book out at the time, and she certainly hadn't read any, it was pretty much guessing how to turn a game into a book. I played the first Resident Evil about a billion times trying to get a feel for the game and memorise all of the early elements, but I was 20-something, I just kind of made the format up. I just thought that was really interesting, um, and I suppose probably quite true, because at the time, obviously, video games weren't overly known for their story until sort of the mid-90s. Um, this was the sort of first generation of games that were really amping up a story. So there wasn't really any need for novelizations of video game plots. You know, what can you say in 300 pages about Mario going to um, throw a hammer at Bowser and take the princess home? It's, it's, <laughs> so. I mean, I remember the critically panned Doom novels, the Dev Desert oh, right. Strike novel and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm not saying they didn't exist, but they weren't, weren't very like, good. No. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, let's talk about early memories before we decide whether or not this book is any good. Um, I'm just going to assume off the top, James, being new to the series, as we often say, you've never read this until now? Yes. Uh, yeah, I've, uh, Yeah, this is my first time reading it. Cool. Fantastic. Um, Steve, what was your earliest memories of either this book or the series, in fact? First year at college. Uh, that's basically what it comes, to, comes down to, because... Uh, I, I spent a lot of time in my local city centre and as a forbidden planet. And obviously, at this point, we hadn't got remake. Uh, I know mean, I think we'd had remake, but we hadn't had a like RE4 or anything like that. So I, was mm. just, I need some new Resident Evil stuff, man. I want some of those new figures, a forbidden planet or something. Go in there, and there is a, a stack of shelves with like I, I don't think it was the full set, but it was some of the SD Perry novels. And I thought, you know what, I'll try the first one and see if I like it and come back and get the rest. Because apparently, Superfan here was also frugal. You know? <laughs> and, and that's basically my first time. I was, I was on a, a shopping trip with some friends to get some Resident Evil merchandise. Like, on, <laughs> I want to say break from, yeah, it was, was it Sixth Form or College, one of those two. And then just literally barreled in and then decided to get frugal at the last point. I remember this because my mates gave me like no end of uh, like abuse after going, you wanted stuff, but you only want one thing. You picky son of a... Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And also sort of weirdly similar. Um, this is my first time actually reading the first one. Um, the, I, I only have experience with a couple of the books before now. So it was a, among many things we've done with this podcast, it's just a good excuse for me to do it. Um, the only book that I ever owned myself was the Code Veronica boys of uh, Code Code Veronica uh, novelization, and I think I think this was the same shop that I bought my Birkin G two figure from way back in the day. 
I probably went back in there looking for more and came across the books and presented with a choice. And I'm going I'm to get this one out of the way. Well, I'll probably talk about it more once we get to that book. But I had all these Resident Evil book choices in front of me and I could have picked up a novelization of a game I'd already played. But I thought, well, you know, I want to experience a new story. So I bought the Code Veronica book and read that because I hadn't played the game. And that was my first experience to the Code Veronica story was via S.T. Perry's novelization. But we'll get wow. there. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's that's my sort of introduction to the series. Maybe around 2012 sort of time, I picked up the entire set off of eBay. Um but rather, other than sort of dipping in and out, I've not really touched them. This was just a good excuse to sit down and actually get through one from start to finish. Um, so before we get what's on the inside of the novel, let's talk about the, the outside of the novel. Let's talk about the, uh, the artwork. Um, James, what do you think of the front cover? Obviously, there's two out there. Um, well, mostly I was looking at the original, uh, the original. But either way, what, what do you think of the artwork for the uh, Umbrella Conspiracy? Um, so the... Is the first one is that the is that the purple one? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I that is dope. <laughs> <laughs> like, look at that. That's. Just, I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and it is freaking great. I mean, those those contrasting colors are. Uh, I, although they're not. Um. How would you How would you say they're not conducive to the game? Mm. Like uh, how how they how that connects with the game much like that artwork is great um, and gives you a really good sense of uh, what the story is about. You have got your Cerberus in there, you've got your Yawn in there, you have got the Tyrant. You, I mean, you have got your zombie obviously, who's the centerpiece. You got the mansion in the background, and you uh, three main characters. And uh, yeah, look, I, I'm I'm a lover of font. Okay, I don't normally say it on um, <laughs> on this podcast because it's um, it's an audio podcast, but. <laughs> I, I love the font as well. Mm. The font is really, 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 really nice. And it, yeah, it does. It has a Freddy Krueger-ish kind of. <laughs> it sort of does, it. actually. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I like it. A lot of work has gone into that cover. Uh, the second one is a bit more plain, mm. um, a bit more, a bit more bland, and I'm I'm not a fan of it. Um, as it's only got, I think I don't have it up on me right now, but it's only got Jill and Chris on the front. Right, and nothing else really, and uh, yeah. So it is. Uh, <laughs> Luigi agrees. The front is fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, the the second one, um, the the most recent one, I'm not I'm not really a fan of because it, right. it only shows the two characters. Doesn't show you. It doesn't make you excited for what's inside the book. And I know there's that old adage of don't judge a book by its cover. But <laughs> if I've seen that. Like younger James, if I seen that, right, I'd be like, no, I'm judging this book by its cover, and I, I wouldn't want to get that because I don't know who these people are. You're not really showing the story. Whereas with the the original one, it's like, wow, look at all these fantastical things and the colors. Right. And, exactly. Yeah. yeah, look at all these monsters and stuff. You definitely don't get that from the 2012. It is just Chris and Jill standing there. It could be anything. I, I completely agree. It's very boring. It's very flat. I like that in a sense. Um, it does make all the books uniform because they kind of carry that along a bit. They they all look very similar, which is nice. And together, I'm sure they do have some sort of visual appeal. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff lost that that original one brings up. It gives you a great sense of the atmosphere. It's got do we nice know if there's scheme. like a spine image? You know how they put these season books together? Like, is there like an image on the spine of the newer style? Not that I know of. Um, I'll have to look into that for Book Club 2, maybe, but uh, not that I've seen, no. They all share a similar sort of visual design on the front. 
Um, but I don't know if there's anything more to it than that. Um, <laughs> Steve, what do you think about the front covers? Uh, honestly, I like it. Like, uh, I appreciate the fact that there is some old... I want to say it's not concept art. Promo promo mm. art has been recycled, and then there's a clearly a, a different mansion, and the Chris and Jill at the bottom are adorable. I like it, the way they're like... <laughs> Like Jill almost seems like she's a stick figurine, <laughs> but, but you know I generally like it overall. Um, I think the uni- the uniform like style of the original of the original cover is infinitely more interesting, like everyone mm-hmm. has said, than the newer one. Though I think the newer one, I mean, we've said that they, they did it with the newer ones to maintain a uniform identity, but the, these other books do. Yeah. yeah, it's like that that Resident Evil logo stays the same across them. It's like goosebumps; they always have the same logo across the entire series. Very um, true. Very true. Yeah. So I, I, I don't. Uh, maybe it's some kind of licensing issue or whatever. That's why I, I, I have to hazard a guess because they went for the remake models and just a blandness, future ones, and it's just, <laughs> eh. yeah. And this is very. This this feels like we haven't gone into the story yet, but this feels like very campy re re one pre remake mm-hmm. for, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, as James said, we are judging a book by its cover. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely would say the original version is the is the winner. It, it, it looks nice. I it, it's it stuck out for me at the time. It still sticks out for me now. Yeah, it's uh, you 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 mentioned all the the, the classic artwork. It's it's a really it's quite decent. I mean, it's a little bit odd, but nonetheless, the composite of sort of like original stuff up to the. The pre-existing artwork is quite nice, a combination of familiar if you're a fan and then something new to look at with the characters there underneath. Um, there is a third artwork as well, in fact. The Japanese translation uh, came out in 2004. That has a really nice cover, worth looking up as well. It's got some original artwork to it, which is which is neat. Um, but apparently is the it Japanese, Shinkero? I don't believe so. Apparently, the Japanese versions of the books are horribly translated. That's really all I know about them is, you know, the ones that they did release, which is not all of them, as far as I'm aware. They have some nice artwork, uh, but the books themselves, not necessarily as good. So, let's talk about the book itself, after we're done judging the cover, in fact. Um, Let's start with how well it adapts the story. Obviously, we're all quite familiar with the original Resident Evil story. Um, Steve, what did you think of this as an adaptation of a video game, where, where we leapt off you know did sd perry succeed in her mission uh, as she thought to be sort of the first person making those strides at least successfully of converting resident evil into a book as a first outing i i give it a solid b minus like this is, this is gonna sound really strange but they did a, a reasonable job of trying to make all even the insane events like there is so much time dedicated to explaining the crest puzzle <laughs> in this, uh, you know, there's puzzles in this. I mean, admittedly, you don't solve them as the reader. You watch the characters bumble around and figure it out. And I actually like what they did, like explaining where Wesker went for a lot of the time. Mm. Like he's, hit, they imply he's hidden in the uh, near the, one of the back rooms near the near the crest door, just hiding in that locked hammer key uh, helmet key office for the majority of the first like. Well, it's like the first half of the book for probably the first half an hour of the game, mm. and yeah, it's it's kind of nice. I like those little bits where they they embellished on where certain characters would be and how they would and they would cross over, and they try and do both campaigns, like sort of. It's it's hundred percent more Jill's campaign than Chris's, but Chris and Rebecca do do things in the book as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I can appreciate it as an adaption trying to put all things together and throw in their own unique style. Yeah, I think that 
I would agree with what Perry says about uh, the difficulty of adapting a game into a book. Must be quite difficult, but I would think it's even more complicated with Resident Evil because, as you just mentioned, the game has two narratives. <laughs> you have the Chris and the Jill um, run-throughs of the game and neither of them actually... You know, they can need, not both of them can't take place, although both of them do, as we know. Um, mm. but, but to write that um, was a challenge, and I think she pulls off sort of explaining that Chris gets there first, and he goes off, and then Jill and Barry go to find him, and, and that's how they split up the characters. It, she does quite well with conflicting stories. Um, there is a couple of parts where it doesn't necessarily work, and we'll talk about things that are and aren't in the book. Um, there's a moment where... Jill finds the black tiger, the giant spider, already dead after Chris has already been there. And you don't get to, to read that experience that Chris has. It, she just finds a giant dead spider, which is... It's a shame. It made sense for the pace. Um, and she did mention in that interview that I read um, that she had deadlines to meet. So maybe maybe that was part of it. And I, I didn't feel like, the as a book, it lacked anything because of it. But it also would have been nice to see that uh, as well. But... For the most part, splitting the story uh, into two characters, more than two characters' perspectives, really. Um, yeah, I think it's quite it's quite well pulled off. James, how do you feel about the the adaptation side of things? I really liked it. Uh, yeah, I really, really, really liked it, and how she because um, <clears throat> you can tell like what she's tried to change to to make the pacing a little bit more mm. um, easier to follow, and that is really uh, like a refreshing because i felt like even though i i you know I've, I've played the remake and i've watched steve play the original um i felt like i was going through a different story but it was still keeping to the same beats um right, totally. as, as the as the original yeah and it was really nice to go through and like discovering different things and i will probably go on it in, in a character section more later but the amount of detail she goes into all of the characters is is pretty awesome um, I, I felt more connected to them than I ever did in the games mm -hmm. um, when I when I read this. Uh, but I mean, that's what you get when you're reading a novel because you are there with them. You know, I mean, I know it's the same in a game as well. But there's only certain things you can describe in a game that came out in 2001 and 1996. So yeah, uh, <laughs> there's only so much you can do. But mm -hmm. yeah, in, in the book, she managed to describe and go through the pacing and the story very, very well and keep it still to Resident Evil hooks and beats. Uh, and I was very impressed with it. Yeah, she she hits all the key narrative points. She doesn't cut out any character that I can think of. Um, because of the nature of being a book, like you say, you get a little bit more insight into certain other characters, like the Stars members at the beginning. They get a little bit more of a description than the games ever really give, uh, which is which is nice. Fixation on Forest, I think, a lot of the time on this one. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Which is which is interesting because I think so. Here we go. Right. So this was published in '98. Um, around the same time that Resident Evil 2 was released. So I would imagine that S.T. Perry was given access to certain materials and guidelines because she mentions things like Chief Irons and the and describes the RPD quite faithfully, even though, you know, those things aren't in Resident Evil 1. She even mentions Ben from RE2, and that, obviously that never comes up in RE1. So obviously she has a rough idea of what's coming next. Capcom have kind of informed her. Um... But there are other parts where it doesn't quite match up. Um, like the RPD building doesn't 
the back the background history of the RPD and the stars doesn't match up with the art museum aspect of Resident Evil 2. Uh, that's conflicting. But it is interesting. It's an interesting insight to where the canon was at the time because maybe the forest thing is a... I'm going to keep bringing this up. Maybe it's a hint, hint, nudge, nudge at the fact that Elsa Walker was being considered at the time <laughs> to be related <laughs> to forest. Maybe. Who knows? Um, but other, other than that... Um, it does reference Resident Evil the book, which was, you know, debatably canon, and we obviously uh, know that quite well because of Resident Evil the beginning now. But it mentions Billy oh, yeah, Rabbitson. I've heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> it mentions Billy Rabbitson. It, it does sort of contradict with the story of that. Um, but it's it's really interesting to see this version of canon now, looking back on it being published in '98, um, because after that we would get some more of the sort of stars history added in and samurai edge and stuff like that which which doesn't come up in the book or conflicts with the book uh, yeah i just thought it was, it's re- it's a really weird interesting window into what was going on at the time so i did notice that the the like i think it's like only one or two quotes from billy robinson but it is like they're gonna kill me chris and i was like mm. that immediately because at the time of my latest reading through i had you know been watching the beginning like I heard it in it's Robbie Aaron's voice, isn't it? It is. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're gonna kill me, Chris. You know, like I, I, I read that line in his voice. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, uh, I did. I did the same thing. <laughs> That's great. I did it with every character. I have to because <laughs> yeah, I've been no, sitting there slaving over the edit, you know, <laughs> at the time. Uh, so everyone in this was the cast of the beginning. So that made it extra special. But that's that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> So speaking of adaptions, I guess the last thing is cuts. There's a rather egregious cut that I think from this. Steve, do you know what one I'm talking about? Do you mean how the guardhouse gets kind of like compressed or? I guess there's that. But uh, James, you kind of of mentioned it on the front cover. um, That image of the the infected snake, which I I don't know if that's actually. Ah, Is that your actual artwork? I'm not sure if it is or not. I can't remember. But either way, Yawn isn't in the book, is it? Uh, Not yeah, that I remember. They, really? Yeah, they talk about a giant snake. Do they? I love. Yeah. I remember them. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Chris and Rebecca, Rebecca having Re- loads of snakes fall on them or whatever, but I don't remember a no, giant no, no, snake. That, no, there's definitely um, no because when he first they they come across Rich, mm. Richard, he's dead already. You don't even get to talk to him, and then um, they go into a room together, and Chris shoots it in the eye. And there's like a big black hole in it. Basically, he crits the snake. Oh, it's yeah. About... No, you're right. <laughs> Fair enough, then. Well, I take back what I said. I do remember that now. Like I said, the snakes do get a thing, but it's more like the, the run up to the guardhouse. There's a shed load of them. Mm. It implies that like, the floor is snakes. Yeah. As <laughs> opposed to yawn itself, where the, the big boss creature gets no screen time. Well, no read time, I suppose, mm. with the word. Uh, but it, it 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 does though it gets no it gets, but I mean it doesn't get much it doesn't get much of a threat threat rating in comparison I guess I mean she did she did um what I liked about uh, her descriptive writing she did uh, there was a lot of tension there before they went into the room um to the point that I actually got to a certain point I I actually forgot about it um and then it got then it um and then it just spawned out of a wall and started attacking them um and then crit had his crit headshot um, headfield <laughs> Crit headfield he says grinning um so i i'm gonna mention it now we'll mention it later on as well but the amount of times she says chris says he's grinning is oh my god <laughs> just every time 
Like, it's every page I feel like that Chris is having a chapter. Chris says grinning. Chris turns around grinning. Chris, you know, <laughs> I I can't say that I actually noticed that. We might as well talk about the general writing style of the book since we've arrived there. I can't say I noticed that. I did notice that, and she, funnily enough, mentioned this in the interview that I read afterwards. She's never going to live down not knowing her weapons. Um, She she doesn't... There's some in there, and I know this comes up in later books, where she just sort of uses words interchangeably, like clips and magazines, like they're the same thing. Um, But in all fairness, you sort of can forgive it for a book written over 20 years ago by a 20-year-old, you know, who didn't really know what they were talking about and had deadlines to keep. So I didn't mind too much. Um, Overall, fairly decently written. In terms of an adaptation, she... There's no pacing issues. You know, Resident Evil is about running back and forth, you know, rubbing keys on different doors. Um, There's obviously less of that here, um, almost to a comical degree, but it it has to serve the book. Um, What she does excel at, I thought, was describing gore. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just every now and then there's paragraphs of just well-described sort of decay and stuff. Yeah. and yeah, it just pops in there every time I was like, that, you know, that's pretty impressively written. Those are probably her shining parts for me, I think. Jill turned, raising her Beretta, and stared in horror at the thing standing there. It was huge, shaped like a man, but the resemblance stopped there. Naked but sexless, its entire muscular body was covered with a pebbled amphibious skin, shaded a dark green. It was hunched over, so its impossibly long arms almost touched the floor, both its hands and feet tipped with thick, brutal claws. Tiny, light-coloured eyes peered out at her from a flat reptilian skull. It turned its strange gaze towards her, dropped its wide-hinged jaw and let out a tremendous high-pitched screech like nothing she'd ever heard before, the sound echoing around her, filling her with mortal terror. Jill fired. Three shots that smacked into the creature's chest and sent it reeling backwards. It stumbled, fell against the tunnel wall, and with another terrible shriek it sprang at her, pushing off the stones with powerful legs, its claws outstretched and grasping. She fired again and again as it flew towards her, the bullets tearing into puckered flesh, ribbons of dark blood coiling away, and it landed in a heaving crouch only a few feet in front of her, screaming one massive arm snaking out to swipe at her legs. A musky, mouldy animal smell washed over her, a smell like dark places and feral rage. Jesus, why won't it die? Jill trained the breather on the back of its skull and emptied the clip. Even as the green flesh splattered away and bone splintered, she continued to fire, the hot slugs ripping into the pulpy, pinkish mass of its brain. Click, click, click. No more bullets. She lowered the weapon, her entire body shaking. It was over. The creature was dead, but it had taken almost an entire clip. 15 9mm rounds, the last 7 or 8 at close range. Is it... Is it Forrest who was eaten by the crow? Yes. And they took his soul as well. They took his eyes. Mm. That was... That was gross. (laughs) That was so gross. Like it... I mean, I know, because I, I remember Steve, when we were playing the original game, I remember Steve just, like, kind of explaining to me what's happened. And I'm like, but look, it's just pixels. It just looks really silly, you know? And then I, I, then I, I, then I heard the crows. I was like, birds, okay, right? And then when, in the book, when it happened, I was like, holy crap! 
<laughs> like they're literally just poking like like a death by a thousand cuts mm -hmm. with Forrest. And what a horrible death. It's this is awful. This can sound really strange. I, I need to say this because that scene, right, is the one time it made me visualize part of the live action films. Um, you know when the crows attack the minibus? Yeah. Whatever the frig is. Yep. Literally, that's how I've pictured the crows like behaving. <laughs> and it, it made me like wince as I was reading. It was kind of cool. I did like that. But that was strangely taking things from the tainted franchise and getting to <laughs> a slightly more appreciated one. The other the uh, other verse. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, by pure chance, when you started talking about this, I have the book in front of me right now. I just happened to open it on page 141 to allow me to read the segment that we happened to be talking about, in fact. Forrest's body was covered with wounds, most an inch or two across, and surrounded by raw, bloody flesh. It was if it was as if he'd been stabbed by sorry, it was as if he'd been stabbed hundreds of times with a dull knife, each vicious cut ripping away chunks of skin and muscle. Part of his ribcage was cruelly exposed exposed, slivers of white showing beneath tattered redness. His eyeless, streaming stare was the crowning horror, like the killer hadn't been content to take Forrest's life, wanting his soul instead. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. Yeah, that's that. Just one example, I think, of some really successful, um, not shocking necessarily, but powerfully written parts about, yeah, these characters that find their friends dead along the Is way. This is the bit where it talks about how Chris uh, says that he'll never see that southern good boy again or something, right? Yeah, something like uh, that. It's, it's, uh, uh, I'm flicking through. I, I can't see it. I wanna, I'm not going to read the book directly at, on the podcast. We'll be here forever. I mean, Sizor does such a great job. Uh, <laughs> I think I think like moments after that, he turns around and goes to a stairway, and Rebecca Chambers is at the bottom of the stairs. And at that point, I was like, no, you can't be there. Run. There's murdering crows They're everywhere. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> so let's talk about characters then. Um, James, how did you feel about um, the characters, specifically Rebecca, since you're there? Did you think they did a good job with her in this? Because obviously she gets very few roles throughout the series, um, some of which is just this one several times. So what did you think of sort of this take of it? Oh yeah, I loved her in this. I loved her even more. Mm -hmm. Like she, she, I felt like uh, Perry really understood who Rebecca is. Like that, I I, I made a tweet yesterday while I was reading this certain excerpt, and it was about um, Chris was making an assumption and was basically being patronizing, and he was he was questioning himself about that, right? He and he was saying he was he was arguing with himself, debating about Rebecca Chambers, about uh, if she's capable. Right. And you see time and time again that she is. Right. And that's really nice to see because in the game you don't really see that. Right. Um, totally. And it kind of it reinforces my idea. Um like I when when I was talking about her during the profile uh, of her, um go check go check that out. It's 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 really good. I just defend Rebecca Chambers for an hour and a half. Um <laughs> yeah, uh yeah, it, it really it it really spoke to me and how important she is as a character like and how like she's constantly reminding you and she's constantly reminding chris and chris is also reminding you after a time so he's progressing as a character um that she's gone through basic training she's gone through everything they have you know and she and she's capable and she's smart you know and she 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 goes through so much and she can she can go through more right so it, it's it's i don't know what caliban cove is like in the rest of the 
rest of the book. So I'm excited to get into Caliban Cova, obviously. Yeah, totally. um, but she, her character is amazing. I, I loved it. And I didn't ever feel like she was a, a, a princess in a castle. True. No, definitely. Um, you know? And this is, again, one of those examples of being able to sort of embellish minor things about what's going on um, in the book more than the games. Obviously, we get these moments where Rebecca's looking at files and stuff herself, going through medical journals and stuff and, and having to explain some of it to Chris because, you know, it's not his area, to say the least. So, yeah, you get an actual demonstration of her delving into her knowledge base there and talking about and sort of uncovering what exactly is going on because, obviously, this game, you've got the revelation of, of the virus and Umbrella um, and what it was designed for and what it, what it's doing. And Rebecca does quite a lot of the heavy lifting there because she's reading all these um, these experiment logs and stuff um, so that was fantastic use of her character. I'm in agreement. This is a really, a really strong portrayal uh, of Rebecca. Um, in terms of yeah, other characters, she, oh no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and she she works really well with Chris as well in this book. Yeah, definitely. Like it, in in the game, um, okay, they're a team, um, and not to hate on the game because the game's great, right? But in the book, um, they really felt like a team after a bit. Chris. You, because again, we're looking into a book, so we're looking into the inner thoughts of Chris and Rebecca, right, and how they're learning and how they're growing. And but, do one one criticism about Chris though is that he feels like a different character to the game, um, right? He feels different in a way, and I'm going to go back to it again because he's constantly smiling, he's constantly grinning, <laughs> right, and he's. He he's kind of keeping an upbeat, even though he's he's going going through all this stuff. He's very upbeat. He's he's actually on almost at the same level as Rebecca at one point, mm. um, who's just trying to keep it. You know, it's her that's her way. She's a very optimistic and smiley person. She's meant to be there to help and support. And yeah, Chris was a little bit of a weird, a weirder, different. And well, not weird. That's a bad word to use. He was a different person, but I liked him. Mm. And, I think you know, I liked him and the rest of the characters as well. Um, Barry, oh my god, I love that man. <laughs> like, he uh, arguably went through the worst mm. in this book. You know, he's constantly being threatened, like, well, his family are being threatened, um, which is threatening his honor, which you learn from the beginning is incredibly important to Barry. And, like, you, you're going through the book and West is constantly hitting it and hitting him with this rhetoric of his family being in danger. I just felt for the man. I felt really sorry for him. Um, Jill, Jill, uh, Jill, I <laughs> I looked at Jill, She, I know Chris was kind of as well, but Jill is a stereotypical crackpot conspiracy theorist. <laughs> like, uh, I still liked her and uh, she's got skills. And it was nice. I, I did enjoy every chap, chap, chapter she had, um, but yeah, she did. She did feel a little bit forced when it come when it came to the conspiracy theories. Um, it just in the maybe book. it's Wesker. Nah, yeah, crazy Jill. It can't be Wesker. I remember that <laughs> bit especially. <laughs> like, and everyone's like just like face palming as they read the book. We're like, yes, Jill. It invited sunglasses, man. Obviously. Uh. <laughs> and it is yeah. It, it, it was nice. It, it was it was nice to see that, um, but again, I don't think it added any kind of charisma or personality to Jill um, any more than the games do, anyway. Um, but I don't think Perry had much to work with at that at that point, right? When it came to Jill, 
Yeah. Um, which is which, which would make other than sort of some stuff that Capcom might have given a, about character, she really only had the 1996 game to use, which is why I would actually say this version of Chris actually matches up with the original Resident Evil quite well, I, I, in my opinion. It, it, less, obviously, like the remake himself, he's a bit more solemn and serious because the whole game's up. But in the original Resident Evil 1, there's a lot of stupid like laughing and, and lines that sound overly upbeat. Um, you know, Chris makes you know like the joke yeah, about right. the root of the problem and stuff. So looks you know, like we got to the root of the problem. Right. Uh, He's a bit of a goofball in RE One, really. So I guess that I guess that's where she got it from. Otherwise, I I generally agree. Um, Jill, it, again, this is one of those things, and we could probably have a whole other discussion on it. Um, working with what you got at the time. Some people don't like these books because they contradict the canon, especially as it goes on, um, which I think is a challenge because, according to S.T. Perry, Capcom didn't give her enough sort of information about what they were doing next. So it kind of... She would write something and then something would come out and she'd be like, well, damn, that's kind of made this make no sense now. Um, but in lots of places, she had to fill in some gaps. And I like, in this one, before we learn that Jill's part of Delta Force, which is the canon now... Um, her backstory is a burglar, which is a cool idea to justify her lockpicking abilities, I guess. It, it works. I had no problem well, with it. Well, she's the daughter of a professional thief, isn't she? Exactly, which yeah. is a really yeah. interesting story. Um, completely non-canon now, of course. But I thought it was a, yeah intriguing idea. Steve, how did you feel about the characters at large? Can I... Just, just one... Yeah, I want to yeah. take, take it back, because, Sai, you are right. You're completely right. I was thinking about remake, Chris. Yeah. The original Chris I mean, it's easy is to do actually... That. A is a complete goofball and it <laughs> makes complete sense that he would constantly be grinning at people and yeah, no, and, and, and yeah, so I take that back. Anyway, Steve. So generally I appreciated most of these characters. I, I, would, I would agree that Jill is a little bit, she starts out until they enter the mansion with a lot more personality. And then after that, she's almost a bit more ciphery, like uh, mm. author insert or, you know, reader insert. But Chris and Rebecca generally have like this almost big brother and sister kind of thing going on. And I especially love the way, well, like when um, she's trying to do the piano lesson bit and she's like, trying to remember, and she gets progressively more annoyed, followed by, oh, I'm solving a puzzle. And, and then, like, Chris told me to stay, but I'm not going to, because then what would I have achieved all of the mission? or Something like that. And she rebels against it, and then Chris is like, oh, brilliant, cheers. When, <laughs> when she shows up with, like, the, the shield key, what have you, later on. Uh, but no, I think that the biggest dynamic in this book is Barry and Wesker, the, mm. the unseen story, and I love every second. Yes, for sure. Same, yeah. Like, here, like, even the novel even plays with you a bit. Like, initially, it doesn't even try and give away. Until they set boots in the mansion, it doesn't try and play Wesker off as the bad guy, but the second is in there. They yeah. they immediately go full, like, scheming evil man. He's, like, constantly contemplating how next he's going to achieve his goals, and he just thinks, Barry! His solution to every problem is to manipulate that poor guy, and Barry has to take <laughs> everything he says at his word. I, I'm that bit where Barry hits him with the gun. I, I like, you know, I'm there with him. Like, you know, just shoot the man, just take care yeah. of him. Uh, but he does. Preach. Yeah, no, it's 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 nice to see that character dynamic. It's so evil and manipulative. Mm. And, yeah, uh, the, the, I, the, again, um, this is the thing of the book, isn't it? We get to see things we wouldn't normally be able to see. So to get to actually 
get Barry's perspective on these situations because some of the book is written from his perspective. You get to have him like lamenting the death of Enrico because of the situation that now he's tied up in. That part was particularly strong for me. Oh yeah, where Wesker's basically feeding the lines of no one else has to die kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And Barry's still like internally thinking, well, Enrico's still dead either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, questioning his, uh, I want to say his loyalties, but obviously his loyalties to his family first, and I can't really blame him. Uh, it's it's a weird thing. And then Wesker himself as a character seems different. Like of all of all the characters, the one who fe- feels the most both in and out of his mold. Yeah, like, I agree. I'm meant to be seeing RE1 Wesker, but what I see mostly is somewhere between RE5 Wesker's like uh, pomp and arrogance mixed with like Jurassic Park's Dennis Nedry, like <laughs> a scheming weasel who uh, like can't even like he, he sees a, a lady he tried to approach when he was working with Umbrella properly because she turned him down. He gets a vindictive satisfaction of shooting her as a zombie. What the hell, man? Like, oh, yeah, I didn't like that part. And then they, they, I do like the fact that SD, you know, SD Perry took time, took the time out to properly eviscerate Wesker and his delusional like <laughs> idea of control as he's getting ripped apart by chimeras. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, actually, uh, what's interesting about that, and I'm not super up on the Sega Saturn version of the game. This is probably the last time I mentioned that interview at Crimson Head, but that comes up as well because um, apparently that's part of the Sega Saturn. Uh, version. That's a death that Wesker can have in that. Um, and they were based, they basically asked S.T. Perry, you know, was there a particular reason why you picked that? And I think she said, well, I, I, I think we owned a Sega Saturn at the time. So it would have been the version that she played to sort of inform the book, perhaps. So maybe, it, yeah, it just came out of the fact that that's the version she played. Again, I don't know. I'm not actually up on the Sega Saturn version. I need to sit down right. and get through it. But all the same, I thought that was interesting. And also interesting that she doesn't then put the ticks in, the, the, the one-off enemy that are only in the Sega Saturn version. But hey. I feel like I, feel like I need to say this because I feel mean now. But uh, Wesker's death by Chimera was always in. Jill's campaign. Oh, is the it? Best ending. Yeah, you go to the power room. It's the trickery system console. If you go there, you'll see his corpse and a chimera slumped over. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> now you know, kids. Go play <laughs> RE1 Classic. Do you know what, though? This is the thing about RE1 Classic. When Barry drops the rope, I could never be bothered to wait, so that's why I never see it. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> My heart can't take this sadness. <laughs> sorry, Belter. Anyway, sorry. Polly. <laughs> but uh in terms of Wesker in the book yeah I agree um it's really cool that we get to see all these different perspectives there's literally there's one chapter um where we get to see Chris's perspective Jill's perspective Barry's perspective um and stuff like that that all in one chapter that's really nice but anytime it got to Wesker it it did feel a little bit off I'll, I'll agree with you there definitely well I don't mean in a bad way it just feels like it's strangely like he remind obviously a context of playing the more recent games, but mm. he feels like he's RE five Wesker crossed with the sleaziest slime ball. Mm. But I I did get a a, a, vi- a vision of him with his little pinky on the corner of his mouth and twiddling his little mustache every time <laughs> it was his chapter. Every I did appreciate when he, his plans first go awry though, when he like finds that Doom book, I think it is, and it's like, oh crap. The scientists have moved everything around. Now I have to rethink everything and like, <laughs> suck it, sunglasses, man. <laughs> <laughs> like his whole thing in this book um, really gets hammered home. Is 
control, control. Oh, I must have my control. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit much. Even as but... he's laying dying. Yeah, he's exactly. He's got control. Um, was, can, yeah. we, can we talk about Trent? Yes, let's the... do that. Who the frick is Trent? <laughs> like, so, like, I don't know who this guy is. We're going to be talking about this over the many episodes of Book Club, I think. So Trent is an original character written for the novels. Um, inserted okay. to be a sort of mysterious third party. Uh, so that that's why you were like, who? Because <laughs> they're not actually part of Resident Evil, the video games, in any fashion. Um, I found those scenes... I don't know. It was very odd. In a weird way, I don't know if this is even a thing in the book, but I found it broke my immersion completely. <laughs> because he's, he's the cigarette smoking man in X Files. He just it, shows up to be a Deus Ex Machina that he pulls yes, off. Yes, that is basically it. Um, I thought it was an interesting idea in the sense that you know he gives Jill this data pad that you know has the map on it and stuff. That was an interesting way to handle some more game gamey kind of aspects almost. But. Yeah, it felt very weird. I'm intrigued to see what lies out from here from the character, but you know, I did feel like it didn't necessarily quite fit because everything else is quite faithfully done, so it stands out a little bit. The thing that bamboozles me, really, like you have to take in character motivation to things. Like if he's part of like, should we say this? I think this is what implies split umbrella factions, isn't it? This whole thing. Yeah, there's definitely like, mention of a another umbrella, which I think comes from the mistranslation in the game of white yeah. umbrella which isn't a thing um, I, i'm fairly sure that's mentioned in the book somewhere don't get me wrong taking a line and run with it well done Asti perry sure well, absolutely um... i mean she did like she said she, she really went through that game um and took everything that she could out of it yeah the, uh, the old diary of umbrella splinter factions is good i actually appreciate that but now the thing is like if we had this little this little data pad with all this evidence on and you really want to just mess with umbrella he handed it over in a police station didn't he <laughs> yeah. like, it gives it to you just like Give it to someone who isn't irons. Like, there's evidence here of wrongdoing, guys. Why don't you go do that whole, like, you know, attack the stock market, etc., etc. <laughs> uh, there was no need for the incident in the first place. <laughs> like, I mean, just... now that you mention it. <laughs> poor, poor Joseph Frost died because this man wanted to see the stars go for a flipping helicopter that ride. That poor like, southern boy. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> is... Is... Uh, does does SD Perry ever confirm uh, that you know Trent is a spoilers? But Trent does appear more than once. He's like in every novel, and I think yeah, he does he novel speak to, to himself. Does he speak to more people than Jill? Yes. In fact, okay. I, think spoke, I think he's spoken to Rebecca prior, but you don't know this until you get to Resident Evil Zero. Ah, oh, good, because I was just about to get my tinfoil hat on again. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Jill's imaginary... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. I can see it. <laughs> he literally is Deus Ex Machina Man. I'm pretty sure his full name is D-E-M Trent. You know? Uh... <laughs> I mean, like I say, I'm intrigued to see where it goes with him. I already kind of know that, again, spoilers, it doesn't necessarily conclude that story. Um because of the nature of it being sort of we're adapting more and more entries as we go, and I guess you didn't know when it was going to stop. Um, I don't think the story actually gets to a proper end, but I'm interested to see more of it, because like I say, I haven't read even half the books in the series, so... Um... I, I want to just be that guy. Just just, just, just let me be that guy for one second, Sai. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, I believe the last novel is called Veronica. 
And I it think does... technically it's zero, but you know, well, I know what you mean. Canonically, yeah. yeah. Canonically it's zero. And it, it's all building up to taking down Umbrella and then it stops. Right, yeah. Which is huh. coincidental. Because, because if the next episode if the next book had been and then the stock market took out Umbrella, <laughs> I don't think it would have gone down as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. True enough. We're getting there. That's the journey is more important, I think, at this point. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I guess let's uh, let's round it out with your sort of final final feelings on Resident Evil: The Umbrella Conspiracy, James. Overall, what did you think of the book? Uh, if I was to give it a rating, uh, I give it uh, I give it a high seven um, out of ten. It was. Um, I, I know you didn't ask for ratings, but I'm going to give you one. <laughs> no, go um, for it. That's what you want to do. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, I really enjoyed the book. I mean, I was constantly, um, I was constantly drawn drawn in by every chapter. Sometimes I can get a little bit lazy with books. Sometimes I can get very lazy with books. But this one kept me hooked throughout the entire thing. I wanted to see that. Uh, I wanted to see Barry get, you know, have his revenge on Wesker. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted, obviously, I wanted my girl to get out of there. Um, I wanted Chris to get out of there because he was so lovable um, at that point. Um, she wrote really, really well. And it's a credit, I think, um, especially to a, a series like this um, where the, the fan base is so passionate. And you could tell just by reading this book that she is also passionate mm-hmm. about this franchise. Um, so that's that's all I've got to say. Fantastic. Steve, what are your final feelings other than B-? minus? Honestly, it, it's a, it's a very good B minus. But no, <laughs> like they they managed to pull off putting, trying to make a canonical like adventure out of original RE one. And let's be fair, we've still got like people trying to work on that now. Like a uh, you know Crimson Head Elder Legend Sonny Bauer is still working on the canon ending project for God's sake. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they've uh, you know they've attempted to make it and it mostly works. I feel like Chris and Rebecca get left a bit on the wayside. All right, it feels more Jill's campaign than, than Chris's. Right, supposed yeah. to a nice 50-50 balance. But overall, it's it's a good time. I think it's it feels at times like it's not actually a horror novel, except when it gets into the gore. It feels more like a uh, murder mystery or a crime novel, mm. which mm. is uh, not, not a slight. Like, no, I that, actually do appreciate that. That's in the DNA of Resident Evil, really, isn't it? So Yeah, uh, that, it, and, and, and yet it still maintains a pace. Uh, mm. you know, I, I Normally, when I read a mystery novel, it can get a bit sludgy a bit slow you know mm. this this wasn't like i read it over the course of like three or four days this last time it's it's a very it's a it's a quick read it's a fun read if you haven't already read it i highly recommend you do though put the mental image of the original re1 in your head i think that works better than remake absolutely absolutely yeah got to be got to be in the right mindset for that and I, and I would agree i think people should read this if they haven't um if you are listening to this and you're curious uh go for it go Pick it up. I'm sure you can probably eBay it like I did still. Um, try and pick up the whole set, in fact, because we, we are going to make our way slowly through all seven. So um, if if you are interested, I would say, yeah, re- read along with us. You, you can even get them on Kindle. because You can, I've got yes. Them on, you can, I've yeah. got them on Kindle now. There you go, then. They've got no excuse. <laughs> oh, wow. They've got the taglines on there. I've just read... I'm re- checking the spine out. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt while you're Go for it. Like, it's even got, like, you know... Enter the world of survival horror. The mm. big tagline is like on the back, and it's like, "Oh, that's so cute." That's so <laughs> cute. Uh, but, 
It also has a hilarious, a hilarious advert for action figures at the back, which is so oh, badly yes. formatted. I can't. The tyrant holding the tyrant. Yeah, <laughs> it's so badly formatted. Anyway, I would most, I would most certainly agree with both you guys. I enjoyed reading it. Um, as a fan, I was engaged. I and it is made for fans, but I don't think that um, a non-fan wouldn't enjoy it. I think it's very well written in terms of telling the story that it has to tell. The characters all pretty much make sense. It never feels over-encumbered by trying to handle video gamey stuff or, or an over-complicated video game plot. Um, as a book, it's it's a, it's a success. I was happy with it. And again, it makes me really interested to see where the story goes from here, especially because the second book in the series um, is a brand new original story starring Rebecca Chambers. So that's pretty exciting indeed. <laughs> yes, you may well squeak that. <laughs> Well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors. If you'd like to be part of the show, then please look into auditioning for our file readings. One way to get in touch is to email us at fasprayprod at gmail.com. But of course, the best course of action is to join our Discord server, where you can discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, listen to the podcast live as it's being recorded, and the link to the server is in the description of this podcast and also on our social media profiles. You can follow us on Twitter at fasprayprod, on Instagram at fasprayprod, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash FASpraypod. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review if you can. It helps spread the word. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash FASpraypod for as little as $1 a month. Our next episode, we'll see us return to the Baker Estate one last time to finish what we started, collecting all of the DLC for Resident Evil 7, Not a Hero, End of Zoe, and all of the game's banned footage in a follow-up to our RE7 review show. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all of the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Sinaiac underscore one, two, three. Steve is at FB. Steve was taken. James is at Moist Owler OFF. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. In the meantime, thanks everyone for sticking out and listening. Hope you had a good show, and I will catch you later. And that cover is awful, Lou. <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's it's yeah, it's bad. Hashtag some of them are mediocre. actually some of them are actually worse because like some of them have just got one character. Like the Code Veronica one is just Claire with her back turned to you. You know, Caliban Clove assuming... I think is just Rebecca. Yeah, like the actual Caliban Clove one we've got, where she's doing like an action pose. And that's amazing. The RE2 one is just two random zombies. It's not even Leon and Claire. Uh, anyway. <laughs> right. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>